Good morning. In Matthew 7, 13 through 27, God speaks to us in his word. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have a seat. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ben. Uh, I am the lead pastor here, but one of many leaders and really glad that you guys would be with us. I'm talking fast and getting into this because we got a lot to cover today. Two things before we jump into this text. One, um, if you have been attending here a while, um, I'm going to ask you, I am going to strongly urge you um, to stop just being an attender. Let's push back the darkness of consumerism that says, Um, church is a Sunday morning only thing. It's not. It was never intended to be that. We are not a Sunday morning only church. We're not an experiential church. We are a church that wants to have true disciples, true disciples that are following Jesus together and are doing the hard work of realizing that not everybody's perfect and especially you. And so what I'm saying is today, check out community group, get in a community group, be involved in people's lives, be vulnerable, let them know you and you know them. Also, become a member in this church. Go the distance to go through all five of those Sundays and become a member in this church. You can actually go through our membership class and not become a member. You can learn so much about the church. And then finally this, we have, uh, we have invite cards. We are next week starting a series on the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters. And if you're not familiar with Genesis, it's break, basically broken up. Um, at a 30,000 foot view between the first 11 chapters and then the rest of the book. So we're covering the first 11 chapters in the fall. We're going to talk about things like, um, who is God? Who are we? Why did he make us? Why did he make the earth the way that he did? What does it look like to know God, to understand the doctrine of God and theology of God, God as creator, and then human beings made male and female. How do we understand that? This is important. It's going to be countercultural like the Bible always is. So I'm going to invite you to invite your friends. Grab one of these invitation cards. Uh, They're on the back, the little tables as you walk. 
Uh, we got several more, but just grab a handful of these cards and invite your friends to come and hear about um, the creator of the universe. Good deal? All right, Matthew chapter 7. Open your Bibles there if you haven't already. Matthew chapter 7. The scene is this. Jesus is on the side of a mountain. He is preaching a sermon to all different types of people. There are in a crowd those that are just coming to hear because this man speaks with so much authority and we're going to come and see the spectacle. They're not religious. They're not irreligious. They're indifferent. There's also several religious people who the man with authority is now saying things to them that they don't like. This does not line up to my view of who God is. They're coming to scrutinize Jesus and listen to him. And then there's also the men who are closest to him, his disciples. They follow Jesus everywhere. Jesus is preaching a sermon to them called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's about to say something to them that I feel like is not just foundational for, for belief in Christ. I feel, like that it's, I feel like that it's more than crucial. It's everything. This chunk of scripture in chapter seven on the Sermon on the Mount is everything. Following Christ is no more or no less than this. It's all, if you wanna know what does it mean to follow Jesus, it's what we're about to talk about today. It is a human being having their identity fully, totally rooted in Christ. And I'm telling you, I know myself and therefore I know you that I often forget who I am. I, am, I easily forget where my identity is rooted. And I try to make up by doing certain things or playing a game or looking the part, but in my heart, it's far from God at times. Jesus has got something that he wants to say to us today that I think is very important. So I'm gonna ask you to pay attention. If you take notes, we'll have stuff on the screen for you. Let me start by saying this. I would never dare, never dare to argue uh, with you about Jesus being complex. Never, he, it's not. Christianity, Jesus, not complicated. It's not complex. Following Jesus is a very simple thing. He tells us this, if any man wants to come after me, he must do two things, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what it means to follow Jesus, deny, self-denial and take up cross. This is not a complex issue. Nobody would ever say, man, there's too many algorithms to follow Jesus, I can't figure it out. It's simple, but it would be ridiculous for me to tell you that it's easy. It's not. It's not complex, but it's also very hard. It's hard to lay down yourself. It's not easy at all. It's simple, but not easy. Today, we're going to strip the Christian faith down to the studs. Um, we need constant reminders of what we signed up for and who we are now. If you follow Jesus, the core of your commitment is not cultural. It's not societal. It's not your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or that you live in Shawnee, America or that your parents told you to go to OBU and therefore you probably need to find a church because my parents are going to stop giving me an allowance if I don't. Parents in the room are like, amen. It's not that. 
It's not because of your surroundings. At the core, following Jesus is not a familial choice or an artifact of where you live or a career move. Following Jesus means that your very identity has changed. It means that what the Bible would describe you now as being a new creation and also that you are bought with a price. So that means that you've been purchased. Do you understand what I'm saying? You actually don't belong to yourself at all. So much so, the power of God buying you, just the power of that alone is, means instant change for the very core of who you are. I had a, one of my favorite preachers described marriage this way, and I think this is what happens when we become the bride of Christ. Marriage in itself, earthly marriage is so powerful. Most of us are so shocked. I'm not married. Most of you are so shocked when you get married and you realize you are not, you told me you were a one way before we got married. Now you're another way. <laughs> Some of us are totally shocked by that. But the fact is this, is that marriage in itself is so powerful that it can't help but changes immediately. And it's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus. It's so powerful that we are immediately changed. We become something different, something other. It's not even really up to you to decide your identity anymore. It is truly a denial of yourself. Again, it's not complex, but it's certainly not easy. And here's how he starts. He says this, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. We have two gates, two roads, two ways and two types of people. One gate is wide. It leads to a wide road. There are many people on it. This is 12 lanes of traffic. It seems like the crowd's going that way that seems smart for me to go with the crowd because everybody's going, it's just interesting. This is how Jesus describes following him. Two gates, two roads, two types of people. One is comfortable. One is wide. One allows you to swerve around. There's not very many boundaries in 12 lanes of traffic, if you've noticed. There's lots of thoroughfare. There's lots of people it gives us the idea of comfort because if they're doing it, then this must be right. The other is narrow. It's uncomfortable. You ever tried to fit through a narrow gate? Try being 6'5". It's always uncomfortable. Narrow gates are uncomfortable. There's not as many people on them. He says clearly here, there won't be many people. And so you're constantly going like the whole crowd is going here, but I'm going here. This is different. There are boundaries to the narrow road. In order to stay on a narrow road, you must have boundaries to not swerve and get off of it. It's not comfortable. Option one, wide gate, easy access, no problem going through. It's the easy way. Things are naturally headed that way. Many people, they go with the flow as to not disrupt the natural order. Option two, thin gate, hard way. It's narrow, again, uncomfortable to squeeze through. It seems unnatural and uncomfortable. Lots of boundaries, few people. Not a place you would go if you kind of trust the crowd. It could seem a little far-fetched to some, but in simple terms, Jesus is saying this, being a Christian means you follow Christ, who ironically, in the first century church, was called the way. You know why? Because he said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a fact, it's a full stop, that no man comes to the Father except through me. Being a Christian means you follow the way and not the crowd, which is culture. I imagine it this way, the way of culture The way that says you can be your own God, you can do whatever you need to do in order to fulfill yourself. You can can change anything about you that you don't like. You You can be sacrilegious. You can worship yourself. As a matter of fact, I would implore you and encourage you, you should worship yourself. You are actually internally great within you. You don't need anyone telling you what to do. You don't need any boundaries. And if someone puts boundaries on you, then they are against you. They're the ones that are evil. That's all of culture. That is the wide road. The narrow road is the way Jesus. And Jesus says one leads to destruction and one leads to life. So we need to know what our identity is in. There's three things I want you to see today. The first is this. If you follow Jesus, your identity first and foremost has to be rooted in the truth. It has to be rooted in the truth. Jesus talks about the narrow and wide road and then he immediately follows it up with something that could be out of context. Seen as like, well, that's just kind of weird. He's just saying random things, but he's not. This is one thought. He's preaching one sermon. He says this next. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. There is a way that's narrow. Not many people go down it. There's a one that's wide that a lot of people go. Beware of the false prophets. They are going to tell you, they're gonna try and sell you on the wide way. Part of it is I think that false prophets are also, if you agree with them, then they've convinced themselves that they're right. Beware of false prophets. We had to, this idea of false prophets or I have in my life, we tend to think of, okay, false prophet, I know that type of person, they're the crazy dude on the street corner wearing weird stuff, saying weird stuff. They don't know Jesus, it's not biblical. That's a, that's a false prophet. But what's interesting here is that again, Jesus is talking to all three types of people, religious people, non-religious people, and then his very disciples, which sounds a lot like this room today. There are the disciples of Jesus who are following Jesus, but don't fully know him in all the ways that we should yet, but we want to know him, we are committed to him. And then there are those in the room who are just don't, who maybe today are just, were drugged here by somebody or were bored on a Sunday and you're like, I have found myself in Shawnee, America in order to have a social life, I've got to go to a church on a Sunday morning. Maybe there are those of you who are confused about Christ. And then there's a whole nother group of us in a room that are very religious in this part of the world. That means that we go to church, we sing the songs, we know the Bible somewhat. We get all the stories on Sunday school We could totally run a whole flannel graph of the story of Jonah or whatever, David and Goliath. But we don't actually know Christ. You don't actually know him. It's what we talk about around here as the over-churched and under-gospeled. Beware of false prophets. And here's what it looks like with them. 
you will not notice them by appearance because they are wolves that come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like, sound like, smell like sheep. But really, they're wolves. They will come to you. It'll be enticing. It's what Paul tells to Timothy. He says, in those final days, there will be those with itching ears. And the itch will get scratched by false prophets. The thing inside of you that you're bent to, that sinful, natural thing that says, wait a minute, I should be able to be my own God. I don't like this part of God. I don't like that he says this about human sexuality or I don't like that he says this about whatever, fill in the blank. I don't like that God tells me I need to tithe. Whatever it is. For me, I could list a whole, I have a mile long. It's like, man, this is tough, God. This is tough what you're asking me to do. Like, I don't like these things. The itching ears, the false prophets will tell you that's good, that's natural. Actually, what God told you about destruction, he's lying. The false prophet tells you that Jesus is the false prophet. Genesis 3 is where this starts for us. The man and the woman, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, which we're going to talk about starting next week. And he says to them, did God actually say that you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And she says perfectly, recites it. She knows who she belongs to. She remembers everything. Yes, he said we could eat of every tree in the whole garden, but except that one tree, because the day that we eat of that one tree, we will surely die. And then the serpent says to her, you will not surely die. God's the liar. When you eat of it, you will be God. The Bible calls this the lie. It's not just a lie. It's not just one of many. It's the lie upon which all lies are built. That You don't need God. You can be him. You can build your whole life and everything about it around you, the center of your own universe. Beware of the false prophets because they love that lie. They will feed it to you. I've witnessed people in my life who are habitual liars. I think the idea of false prophecy is like, okay, it'd be easy for us to say, well, that's the type of person that's a habitual liar. I mean, these are the type of people that end up believing their own lies. I mean, there are those people for sure in our life. But this is not that. This is wolves in sheep's clothing. They scratch an itch. We have to be aware. You cannot recognize them by face value. There is another way that is more telling, and it's this. God says this, Jesus, you will know them by their fruit. So what even is bad or good fruit? Let's look at Galatians 5 together. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is on the screen. The works of the flesh are evident. Bad fruit, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, take a deep breath, and then Paul says, and just in case I have not covered it all 
and things like these. This is about your heart. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Bad fruit, things like these, everything here is rooted in self-indulgence. What's the good fruit? The good fruit is this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Identify and have your identity in the truth. Following Christ means you say no to these other things and you ask the Lord to fill you with the fruit of the Spirit. It means that you actively work in obedience for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. It means that you say, I'm following the narrow gate. I'm following the narrow way. John Stott points out um, in the Old Testament, we see uh, lots of false prophets. It's easy for us to identify there. And the prophet Jeremiah says this, one of the major characteristics of false prophets in the Old Testament was their amoral optimism, their denial that God was the God of judgment as well as of steadfast love and mercy. They were guilty, Jeremiah said to the people, of, quote, filling you with vain hopes. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, quote, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. This is a false prophet saying you're fine to think however you want to think, to be however you want to be. Jeremiah, way hundreds of years ago, the prophet of Jeremiah told the people like, Listen, these false prophets, they fill you with hope, but it's vain hope. It's vain hope, it's not real. It makes you feel good in a moment. It's gonna lead to destruction. All right, our identity needs to be in the truth. Second, our identity is in knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. Follow the trajectory. I'm gonna keep recapping it because it's important. We started with the wide and narrow gate we move to beware of false prophets and now we're at this place on the day of judgment that Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a sharp verse, especially for a pastor. Many works in your name and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Cuts us right to the heart. I want you to pay close attention to a few things within this passage. Three times there is a verbal profession mentioned. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Also, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? And then finally, Jesus making a verbal profession and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. What a dangerous thing to say one thing and then do another. To confess with our mouth but not believe in our heart. I'm having, I wanna have a very sober conversation with you right now. It is entirely possible 
for you to learn the tricks, learn what to say, know it like the back of your hand to be a church person who sings the songs, listens to them, maybe even writes them. To be a person who is in this chair a lot, who shows up to all this stuff and has just adopted a mindset that's like, I am a Christian because this is what I do. It is entirely possible for you to do that your whole life and to never actually know Christ. Entirely possible. This is a group of people that are confessing Jesus as Lord. You might say, well, I thought that was enough. It's not. Even the demons confess and tremble. They're ready to say Jesus is Lord. But they have never actually been known by Christ. Never surrendered their life. Never come to a realization that they are a sinner and they need a savior and I've got to trust Jesus. Jesus gives a brutal indictment for people that we would have considered to be top shelf Christians. I mean, have you ever come across somebody who's prophesied in the name of Jesus and cast out demons in his name and then done mighty works? Would you be quick to say, I don't think they're actually a Christian? <laughs> that would be shocking. How would you know it? Jesus actually gives a brutal indictment for those people who we would consider top shelf. And he says, not only are you not working for the kingdom like you think you are, you're actually working against it. You're working for lawlessness. You're laboring in vain. There's a passage of scripture that says, if the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. That's a base level for those that follow Jesus is that God is the builder of the house. It all comes back to him. These people here in verse 21, their confession is verbal, not internal. Their knowledge is intellectual and not personal. Trouble I have is that in this part of the world, I think we've overused and watered down the power of God by saying things like, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow, a personal relationship with Christ is what we should go for. But in our modern day American church, that phrase, like all human phrases, has become weakened by our own tendency to drift into seeing God as less than almighty. We keep trying to make God something other than what he is. We keep trying to avoid the fact that he is all powerful and all just at the same time. Like he's just our friend and not our king. But a right way of understanding Christ is that he is the friend of sinners. He is our friend. But in order for him to be our friend first, we must come to him needy. I can't save myself. I have come to a realization, God, that I am a hot mess. And I've tried to like not be a hot mess, but I am. And I can't save myself. And I need you to do it. He's a friend of sinners. 
And his friendship to me and you are only because of his power to overcome sin and welcome us in. Christ is the initiator and the instigator of our relationship. He gives us grace that we don't, we don't deserve. The right posture before the Lord now and then on that day to me, for me, is this. In a roundabout way, our posture is this. Thank you for the cross. I don't deserve to know you, but I want to, and I'm grateful. I want to follow you. The identity of the Christian is one of gratitude and humility. Our identity is in Christ. And then the third and final thing I see here, our identity is in our obedience. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and then does not do them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But then everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Wide gate, narrow gate, false prophets beware. They are ravenous wolves. They look like sheep, but they're not. There will be many who come to me on that day and say, haven't we done all this in your name? Depart from me, I never knew you. That word, when Jesus says, I never knew you, is the same word that Adam knew Eve with. If you're familiar with the Bible, that Abraham knew Sarai with. It's intimacy. It's not sexual, but it is intimate. It's the same word. Depart from me, I was never intimate. I never knew you. And now to the end, he says, I have given you some words. I have told you some things, and I'm about to tell you one more. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. An identity for a Christian is found in our our obedience. Remember, he said, you can tell them by their fruit, good fruit and bad fruit. And I look at the builders now, one who builds his house on a rock, one who builds his house in the sand. I want to point out a couple of things about these men. There are similarities in the two builders. First, they're both ambitious to build. And they're both ambitious to build a house by themselves. These men were skilled. They knew. They had control of their life. They had worked enough to know how to build a house by themselves. They're both gifted. Building a house is no joke. And the other thing that's similar between the two of them is that the storm, if you'll notice, the storm does not show favoritism. The storm does not come to the Christian or to the non-Christian and not the Christian. Which leads me to say that following Christ is not your best life now button. Storm will come. But there is one major uh, difference in the two builders and the two homes, and it's this. It's the foundation of the house. Talk to any home builder and they will tell you that the most important piece to building any house is right away you have to set the foundation. One builder takes the easy route. He builds on sand. It's not solid, shifty, corrosive. It's also easy to build castles on. It's the wide road. One builder takes the hard route. 
Rock takes time, work, sweat, tools. You're inevitably gonna need help digging through all that rock. You have to dig in a very deep way. Dig down, break up some things, cause some pain and muscle soreness. Lots of refinement. The man who builds his house on the rock has a foundation that is foolproof, trustworthy, and tested. This illustration is perfect from Jesus because he's obviously not talking about an actual home, but he is talking about the foundation of our souls. Christ is the rock of salvation. Jesus tells the crowd in bold and simple terms, the evidence of your soul being built on me is this thing. If you hear my words and then don't do them, your soul is built upon a foundation that will crumble, the sand. If you hear my words and then do them, your soul is built upon a foundation that will not crumble, the rock. Closing is this today for us. Our identity is in the truth. Follow Christ means we love the truth. It's in knowing Christ, being known by him. Foundation is built, and then the fruit of that, the evidence of all of that is our obedience to Christ. We have a wide gate and a wide road, riddled with false prophets and empty lies of a fallen world that is easy to enter and doesn't require any work to build upon. We have a narrow gate and a narrow road, a place for people of truth that have come to realize that they cannot fake their way to God or his heaven. And no amount of lip service, self-help, or smooth talking can appease the reality of sin and death. The only way to life is through surrender and obedience to Christ. And the question is simple today. I mean, which road are you on? Which road are you on? Have you taken the bait of the false prophet? Are you someone today who is coming to realize that the world is lying to you about how to get life? Or maybe you're a Christian who's been enticed by the road, the wide road. And you've forgotten what it means to have your identity rooted in Christ, to be someone who loves the truth of the word of God over the siren song of our culture. Maybe you have been enticed, which is like all of us at times. Wherever you find yourself today, listen, the best news that I can give you is this. God is fully just, 100%. There is no amount of him that is unjust. He is purely, holy, and fully just. He is also purely love, holy love, 100%. There's no amount of him that's not love. The justice of God has to go somewhere. Those two are both Realize in the person and work of Christ. And here's what it did. God's justice, because it had to go somewhere, he put his justice on his son. He put every ounce of it, every ounce of wrath that you deserve, all of your shortcoming, all of your sinful, all of that, every bit of that. There is not one ounce of that that can exist in God's presence. And the gospel is simply this, the love and the justice of God meet on the cross. 
Jesus is, this is a crazy story. Here he is preaching to people about the narrow gate and the narrow road. And what Jesus did for all of us that are in Christ is he went down the road of destruction for us. I could preach a whole sermon on that road. It was called the Via Dolorosa, that road that Jesus walked down to get to the cross, carrying his cross, your cross. He went down the road for us. He received the full wrath of God on our behalf. God received the wrath of God. Do you understand how profound that is? On our behalf. So what hope do you have in life and death? What hope do you have? On that day, what hope is there other than to say like, I just trust the finished work of Jesus Christ. And again, we say this, this is the posture and the identity of the Christian. Thank you for the cross. I don't deserve to know you, but I want to, and I'm grateful. I want to follow you. Our identity is rooted in him. It's rooted in the truth. We need a savior and that we have one. And then out of all of that, man, we just say like, yeah, I'm going to obey Jesus. He is that good. He's that good. I'm going to follow him. Let's stand together.